You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. This episode is a bit different. Matt and I are on our own this week, and we're talking about how we write proposals. We both work for small companies that make websites and apps, so we're going to talk about what we know. Learning how to business when you're a designer. You're going to be just as good or bad at business as Andy and I now. Matt has to get the snarky thing in. He can't, he can't <laughs> let the snarky thing be somebody else. Hi, Andy. Hello, Matt. Just you and me this time. It is. It is just you and I. It's a little bit of a different episode, but I think we have a topic that you and I are suited to talk to talk about. Oh, boy. You know, I think one of the reasons that we have lots of people on this show is that uh, we recognize that the two of us are far from experts on everything, and uh, we oftentimes need that outside perspective, I think, to... Uh, I shouldn't say outside. We need that different perspective in order to really talk about a topic or a subject holistically. But we chose a really boring topic that you and I have a lot of experience with that I think we can actually cover pretty thoroughly just ourselves, right? Oh, I'm so excited. Are we going to talk about Star Trek? <laughs> no. How much Star Trek have you watched? Almost none. Okay. So, yeah, see, that's why we can't do that, Matt. We, we, need, Solid we call. need a proper Star Trek expert here. Okay. No, I mean, this well, is going to be a more practical subject than our typical working file show. We tend to, you know, dabble in the theoretical and kind of talking about the, the state of practice as a graphic designer. But, you know, there's practical matters to be covered, too. And uh, I, th- I think we can help a lot of people, Matt, if we make a show just talking about proposals and, and how we write them, what's in them, why we do them. Because uh, you and I have both been in consulting for our entire careers, more or less. I imagine at Pentagram, you didn't write a lot of proposals. Is that, is that true? That's true. I didn't write proposals. That was not my job. Yeah. I, was at, I would be asked, like, hey, can you estimate how much time this would take you to do something? But that was the extent of it. So gotcha. this is much, much newer to me than to you, but I have been doing this for the past two-ish years now. Yeah, and I've been doing it for, you know, six years professionally, and I, we both freelanced, I'm sure, yeah. um, when we were younger and had to do similar things back then. And uh, it's something that, you know, obviously I think about a lot. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's the, it's the part of the job that a lot of people kind of resent, right? Like, it's not fun to write a proposal. No one, that's not the part that most people really love about the job. But, um, but something that I always think about, which I think people ignore, is that, you know, proposal is a really exciting opportunity, actually. And I'm not just trying to get you excited about this podcast episode. I, I mean that any opportunity you have to communicate with your clients, uh, your collaborators, people that are paying you so you can have a living, uh, is an opportunity for you to kind of formally codify whatever your values are around a particular subject or project, right? Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people have these big grand ideas of how their company works and what their beliefs are and how they kind of, you know, what their values are and how they work. And the uh, a proposal is a perfect example of a place where you can like, you know, really put your money where your mouth is and write something that is expresses those values in a way that is very clear and straightforward so that people know what they're getting into. Um, so Matt, if they read it, <laughs> if they read it, which we're going to get to that too, because that is a that is a real, it's a real consideration when you're writing these things. But goal, get someone to read it. Don't be a lawyer and just put in all the words so somebody doesn't read it. At least for me. Don't even get me started on that. But so I just spent the last, you know, week and a half, two weeks at work, uh, basically redoing our proposals, both in content and in the sort of format for how we actually make them. 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious to know, Matt, because I don't know much about how you work internally at Motel. Like, what does your proposals look like right now? Like, how do you make them and, and what, what do you put in a typical proposal? So I will say this. I'm excited to change this because I'm not in love with the way we do it. But we have an InDesign file that is a template and we have different sections that we fill in. And so it means a designer always has to do it, whether it's for a development project or a design project or a both project. It's always usually me making their proposals. So it's not an ideal system. But that is what we're doing currently. Mm -hmm. And you say you have different sections you fill in. You have like one document that's got all of this boilerplate and you like delete sections if they're not relevant. Or how do you like, how, how do you keep those sections that you know you have to write over and over again, which is frankly the, the majority of most proposals, I think. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's like a summary of services, costs, schedule, and they're all split up in either pages or sections. And then we just kind of fill in the blanks. And then we do have like, there are other things that we deliver with it. Like we have like a master services agreement. Uh, that is just a Word doc that we send also that's like the same legal language we use everywhere if it's like a larger development project. Um, but for the most part, we're just taking a template and then filling in words, or the hardest part is always making the schedule. We have like a, you know, a visual schedule that we add when, when it is required. Oh, interesting. And yeah. you, um, you, you chose to do this in InDesign, presumably because you would have full control over the appearance of these proposals and they would look... Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm using the row you, you as all of Motel, of course. Uh, yes. chose to do this because you could make them look exactly as you want them to look, right? Yes. And I think, uh, in retrospect, a little naive. What's, what's naive about that? That anyone cares how nice your proposals look. Yeah, I will say that I think fewer people care than most designers would, would want to admit Right. Uh, you know, I think we all definitely don't want to have, you know, nine point type, the full width of eight and a half by 11 page, like, you know, <laughs> 6,000 words per line or whatever, uh, yeah. with just, you know, a big like wall of text. But, uh, there is certainly a balance because I, I agree that I don't think most, that's not going to be the linchpin of whether you get a project or not in, in almost every scenario. Right. Um, so we, in the very, very early days of friends of the web, you know, six years ago, Started out with InDesign as well. Uh, we pretty quickly got away from that just because uh, I found that what I had to do very often was talk to the developers, ask them questions about things, get them to write stuff up for me, and then I had to go put it in the InDesign document. And I was just like faring between these places because, uh, and for us, it's not even like InDesign super hard to use, but Adobe software is egregiously expensive. And for every person on our team to have a license just so they can type something in a proposal if they have to is, is yeah, not tenable. That's that's kind of my thing too. It's not like I couldn't teach someone how to use it, but like, do we really want to get creative cloud for every single person on the entire team so that we can have one program that basically you fill in template fields? Is that the smartest thing to do? Probably not the smartest thing to do. So we abandoned that. I want to say I've uh, been the first six or nine months of being in business. And yep. uh, what we decided to go with was, and what we've had since then until very, very recently was just uh, a Google doc, right? We had, a, we made a template mm -hmm. in Google docs, uh, which Frankly, it was, was pretty good. Like, that's a really good, uh, like, middle ground solution for, for doing this, especially if you're on a team, because, you know, the collaboration is obviously very easy. Uh, it's great to be able to share a draft with the team and have people just be able to, like, comment, you know, annotate on something to ask a question without having to actually change the copy of the proposal itself. Uh, it worked out really nicely. And, you know, you can template the Google documents pretty well. It's hard to, it's hard to describe how the, it, it always looks a little bit off when you, when you download that PDF. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, like, the way it renders type or something, but it's just always a little bit kind of wonky. The um, thing I've always found is like, you think you have, you think you have a one page document and then it turns out you have a 1.1 page document. That's a good and one. one yeah. 
<laughs> the one the one line where you sign your name actually turned out to be on a second page and you sent it and you look like an idiot not mm. an idiot but you know it looks kind of dumb yeah it does get a little bit rough um you also have limited type choices available to you in google docs obviously which can be frustrating but uh but yeah we did that for a long time and i think that worked very well we very, we very recently here was our main our main like pain point our, our biggest issue with that was mostly that we have this template right and the template was had all the more or less all the sections we ever put in a proposal and you know it was scattered with basically like you know variable names for for lack of a better word like it would say client name in all caps here mm-hmm. and you had to go through and replace all of those things manually to make sure that you put you know the correct client name in every single proposal and uh, there was sometimes we would write a section that we knew was not going to be part of our normal template. You know, a certain proposal called for something that was special. And we would write that, you know, kind of once. And sometimes, we'd, oh, eight months later, oh, we have need something very similar. Let's go back to that proposal and get that section. And now we already, now we have a section we copied and pasted that has a different client name in there. We have to go and make sure we kind of read through that very carefully. And uh, it, it kind of just over the course of the past five years, I guess we've been doing this uh, with this kind of Google Doc template. We have this just like scattered history of, you know, edits and, you know, we, we change our language slightly for how we word our, you know, page optimization section here. And that's the one we actually like. And so it's just kind of this big, difficult to manage corpus of, you know, boilerplate and uh, templates to kind of fill in. And it's kind of a little bit overwhelming. Um, so what we did very recently, uh, which I won't go into too much depth here because I don't know how useful this is to anybody, but uh, we actually built a little JavaScript tool uh, well, we, use, we use a library to basically uh, build a little JavaScript program that will allow us to, you know, fill out some JSON, which will have all the variables and then like, you know, indicate which parts of the boilerplate should be there or not. And then it just basically spits out a PDF for you uh, based on a template that we built ourselves, which we have total control over, unlike Google Docs, where you're kind of limited in what you can do. Uh, and that means we can make it look exactly how we want it to look. And more importantly, we like know for a fact that we're getting the canonical version of whatever that sort of section we want to Mm -hmm. include is we know it's already been you know proofread and and spell checked a million times and we also know for sure that we didn't accidentally put the wrong client name in some paragraph which i don't think we've ever actually done but i live in fear of that whenever we're like you know copy and pasting sections from proposals to kind of put something together i'm like oh god please don't leave the wrong client name in somewhere that's about the worst thing i can imagine yeah that's Uh, great actually i'm sure you have done it you just nobody read it and noticed so that's you know possible. Gonna tell you. <laughs> it's possible. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what you actually put in the proposals, kind of like section by section. This is something I actually recently changed. Um, okay. I will say that for a long time, we kept this basically as minimal as we could get away with, right? Like our goal was write as little proposal as possible. And, uh, you know, that has its pros and cons. And the pros of that are that, you know, if you don't go above and beyond to like sell yourself to somebody to like really make the case that you should work with them then you're naturally only going to work with the people that have decided for themselves without having to be sold that they want to work with you, uh, which I think is a kind of nice, if you, can, if you can afford it, I think it's a kind of nice uh, litmus test, right? Like the yeah. clients that work with us are the ones that, you know, sought us out or got a great referral or something like that. Uh, and they don't need a lot of, uh, you know, formal explanation of what's going to happen. They just kind of trust us. Um, but the obviously something that happens there is that you get less work right there are some people that probably looked at our proposals in the past and were like this is not thorough enough this doesn't answer my questions i don't you know i don't trust this because it doesn't look big and sort of you know as extensive as i would expect it to be for a project of this budget Um, so obviously missing out on work is a problem and the bigger issue honestly though i think is that you know oftentimes communicating with people is much harder than you think it should be right (laughs) things seem uh 
obvious or intuitive or clear to you or people you're working with. And then when you expect other people to kind of pick up on those things, they just don't. And so I, I've been kind of looking at our proposals lately, all of our documentation, right? contracts, proposals, mm-hmm. um, when, rarely when we have to do some kind of NDA, those kind of things. I've been looking at those as opportunities to like really try to be abundantly clear with people and make sure that we've communicated everything that we can communicate. And to your point, Matt, we'll, we'll get to whether or not people read these. Uh, but uh, that's something I've been doing recently. So I'm, I'm curious, I, I'll go through ours, and then I kind of want to hear how yours differs uh, from what you kind of do. Yeah. Um, so one thing we changed recently, which I can't recommend this yet, because I don't know how it's going to go or what, what the sort of knock-on effects are going to be. But previously, our proposals were written, you know, kind of as like a baby legal document in the sense that it was in the third person, right? It would say like, friends of the web will build this thing for company name. Yep. Uh, and it was kind of written dryly. And we kept running into this issue where like, there were lots of places where it was awkward to refer to us in the third person. So in some rare circumstances, we would use a second person and describe like you or us, uh, which was weird when we were using the third person in most of the document. And it always just kind of felt a little bit uh, too formal for us. So I actually switched our proposals to being more of engagement letters, which, you know, the only real difference, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is that like it's formatted like a letter and it is in the second person, right? Like we talk about Hmm. you, the client, and us, the company, and we use those pronouns throughout, which makes the whole thing more friendly and more consistent, uh, which it feels better to me. Uh, I I think it looks better and reads better. Uh, I don't know if that's going to cause any problems yet, but I can't imagine it would. Um, So that's one thing we changed recently. So all of our engagement letters now start with the top section is like the part we write specifically for this project, right? It's not boilerplate. And what we do is we write out the purpose of the project, which is basically a restatement of things that should be already known. But like I said, I think there is value in restating things. So this is where we restate what we heard our client or potential client say to us in the first couple of meetings we had about Mm -hmm. what they need and why they need it. And we kind of explain it in our own words. And hopefully if they read the thing and they don't, it's not quite right. It doesn't, it doesn't quite get at what they're looking for. Then we can have a conversation and fix that. Um, so purpose is important. And then scope. Uh, and those are kind of the first, the, the two first sections. And scope just describes like practically what's going to be done. So purpose is kind of the, the why and scope is the what. Uh, yeah. And scope will go through the exact kind of things that we're going to create and what our role in creating those things is going to be. And uh, that's kind of the part we write custom for each proposal. And there's a little introduction at the top that just says like, you know, you have any questions you can do this thanks for considering us for your project and that part's like a little couple sentences of, of more boilerplate stuff um so we that's the part that we like actually write right there's no templates there we just write that for every project and it is what it is um beyond that we have a project management section which just describes how the project is going to be managed uh which we have an assigned project manager for every project at, at friends of the web so mm-hmm. um should did we mention should we say that we both work at small companies that do uh Basically, like web and mobile design and development. I think that's fair. Probably should have said that up front. That's some I guess. context for why. Yeah, we're... for those of you that may not know, Matt and I both work at small companies, and we have decision-making roles at small companies where we are basically working with clients to do web and mobile applications uh, and design and build them. Mm-hmm. So all of our products, we have an assigned project manager. So we briefly describe what that role is, and all we basically say is this person is responsible for making sure you know what's going on and making sure that everyone else at Friends of the Web knows what's going on as well, right? They're the kind of go-between to kind of keep everything on, on schedule and, and on track. And then for projects where we're collaborating with outside developers or uh, where it's a more involved 
uh, development project where maybe a project manager is working for our client that's kind of in charge of managing things on their end. Uh, we'll oftentimes use shared software together. And so if we do that, then we include a section about what that shared project management software is going to be and how it's going to be used and utilized and uh, used and utilized. Look at that. That's a bad one. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we kind of go through those details of that as well. Um, so that just basically describes how things are going to work. Uh, then we have a big section, a bigger section about what the client's responsibilities in the relationship are. And this is everything from the boring things of like, you're going to have to pay for your own hosting and you're going to have to, you know, register your own domains uh, and like that kind of stuff to more like theoretical or less practical things like you need to communicate with us openly and you need to involve people that have the ability to say no from the early steps of the project. And if you don't do these things, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, and it kind of describes all that. And I think that's a really important section to have because uh, it helps. It's also kind of like saying, this is what we're not going to do, uh, right? And so it's mm -hmm. nice to have the section of what we're not going to do as well. We have a optional travel section. So if the client is located somewhere within a reasonable travel distance, we basically say that we'll travel whenever you think it's correct for us to travel. And it lays out how that's paid for uh, and who, how how we decide who's going to be in attendance and how that whole thing works. Uh, we do have a short section of like the literal final deliverables, which is kind of similar to the scope section, except the scope section doesn't go into detail about like where the code is going to be and uh, you know how it's going to be delivered. And so this section just tells you exactly what you're going to get from us at the end of the project uh, and, and what it's going to look like. Um, so for all of our web projects, we also have a section of boilerplate we included for browser compatibility. Uh, we spent a decent amount of time figuring out what kind of browsers we could reasonably support. We have the is criteria. That across, is that the same everywhere or do you do it project by project? Uh, we don't list specific browsers. So it describes a process which can be applied at any moment in time to any project uh, to determine compatibility. Um, so for example, I'll, I'll tell you, our four criteria are that the browser has to be supported by the publisher, has to be the mm -hmm. current version or a direct predecessor to the current version, uh, has to support client-rendered JavaScript, and... Uh, I'm sorry, it's any of these four. I'm sorry, not all four. If, if it has any of these four, then it works. Uh, okay. And or is at least 25%, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 0.25% uh, global or US usage as reported by stat counter global stats. So basically, hmm. if it's any one of these four criteria, then we sort of meet that browser uh, when we deliver the project. Uh, if it's supported by the browser, current version or predecessor, current version, supports client rendered JavaScript and at least 0.25% uh, of the US or global browser share. Um, which sounds like it might be a lot of browsers, but it's really not anymore. Uh, like this really doesn't cover a ton of stuff. But, you know, luckily browser stuff has changed. You, I mean, you remember, <laughs> we're going to be like, uh, this will be like trying to describe compact discs or something uh, to, you know, our children when we have to talk about how <laughs> yeah. we had to care about browser compatibility. Because I feel like we're on this path where in 10, 5, 10 years, like it's really not going to be a thing that really interferes with anybody's workflow anymore. Where when we first, I first started making websites, it was like, you know, different planets when you looked at your, <laughs> when you looked at your website in, uh, you know, in, in Internet Explorer versus Safari versus uh, the very early days of Firefox. It was just like totally, totally different things. Do you remember that? Yeah, actually, I have to say, I have recently stopped stressing out about this as much as... I used to like it, I don't know that used to be my nightmare just the idea of having to explain what we will and won't support what versions of Internet Explorer are acceptable like 
I feel like just Microsoft cutting off the support of Internet Explorer at some point and be like, look, Microsoft won't even deal with it. We're that not made it very easy to explain to people for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, here's the letter where they say they're not supporting their own software anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you know, each of these sections are things that we at some point I sit down and figure out what we're going to write. And so for a long time, we wouldn't ever we didn't have a formal thing about browser compatibility in our products. Like if someone asked, we'd say, oh, well, all the major browsers and, you know, backwards compatible as much as reasonable for, you know, things that are popular still. Um, it was very vague, right? And now it's not very vague. Now it's extremely cut and dry. Here's what we you know, are going to cover, which I think is much better, right? Like if you have the time to do that, like why not communicate clearly with your clients about what you're going to be doing? Yeah. So yeah, this is just like the formal criteria that meets what we all have in our heads when we think about, oh, what browsers are reasonable support. And we kind of sat down and worked backwards and said, well, we think it's reasonable to support this, but not this. Why don't we think it's reasonable to do that? And we kind of, you know, figured out what the actual criteria was that made it a thing we could actually support. Um, so we described that. Uh, we also have, and this next section is also one that we kind of added recently. So all these things are things that were added pretty recently. This next section is one uh, which I'm calling optimization right now, which I don't love the the word, but what I'm what I'm really describing is kind of search engine optimization, but I don't in any sense want to use that language because that's a very fraught way to describe something. Uh, but this yeah. is basically a section of the proposal where, and again, this only applies to web projects where we're doing development. Uh, and it basically just describes what we are going to do to ensure that the website can be parsed successfully by search engines and can be, uh, you know, can interact nicely with, uh, with social media sites. So like you know, adding the open graph uh, metadata, like that kind of stuff. Um, this is something that clients will ask us about somewhat regularly and always have to have the conversation like, well, you know, there is no real search engine optimization in the sense that there's not these steps you take and then you do better on search engines, right? Uh, what you need to do is just make sure that whatever the content of the website is, it is parsable and discoverable and then, you know, make good content is really, is really the best, the best search engine optimization. It's just like really put good stuff on the website and update it regularly. Um, so this is a section that describes what we're going to do. And uh, the four things here, I say that we're going to make a sitemap file, we're going to add the open graph metadata, we're going to keep page load times fast, and we're going to follow recommended best practices for images, video and structured data. Uh, and then I also link to like Google's official webmaster guidelines for what to do to make your website reasonable as far as search engines are concerned. Um, but that section is kind of a interesting one as well. This is stuff I just don't put in proposals. Like this is uh, very, I guess you just learned from having to answer the question a million times, but I, I never think of that as something that should happen at a proposal phase. Let's get into that in two seconds because I'm almost at the end of what we do okay. in our proposals basically. Um, so we have like two boilerplate sections left and then just like you said, schedule and, and payment. Um, so one other section here is we do also have a little section describing that we design and build everything responsively and what that means. Uh, that's a question that we get asked sometimes. Sometimes we get the question. That like, responsive design trend you talked about? Yeah, ex exactly. Uh, sometimes we get asked the question, like, how many breakpoints are you going to put in the website? And then we have to have the big long talk about how that's not really how we're going to do it. So we describe that briefly, which I think is also just, you know, sometimes people just ask, like, are we getting responsive design? And it's like, you are. You're getting that buzzword. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you're getting the buzzword that you heard before. So that's in there. We also have a, uh, and this section is only included on certain projects where we um, talk about what the idea of a minimum viable product is and describe why we think it's valuable to start with the like simplest version of an idea and, you know, only build more once you have gleaned information from your user base or your customers. Mm -hmm. And in that section, we'll also describe things that we've talked about with this potential client, but are not included in this proposal that we agreed are not part of the minimum viable product. 
which is an important section when you know you're talking about a possible product you're going to build and you know the client obviously has all these dreams and and you know where they want it to go and they know that they talked about these things in meetings and i think it's really important to sort of formally say just so you know this is definitely not including the proposal um, <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing that you know if, if people are not reading these documents if people you know just come in and have a meeting and then you send them a proposal and they only look at the number and they say great let's get going uh, you are very likely to end up in a situation in the future where someone is like, hey, I know we talked about this at the meeting, and then you gave me a number. Why wasn't this included in the number you gave me? We talked about it. And it's like, yeah, well, we talked about how we, we shouldn't do it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's an important section, I think, as well. Uh, and then we get down here just the timeline and the, uh, and the fees and payment, which are you know, obviously pretty necessary. Um, you, you mentioned that you've done pretty thorough timelines in the past. Um, I have to say, we don't, like, we almost always never give timelines for our projects. Uh, we'll give up until very recently, we would only give like a rough macro scale. Like, this will take between four and six months, or this will take mm-hmm. between two and three weeks. Uh, and we would, you know, say when we could begin the project roughly. Like we can begin immediately, we can begin in a month, uh, whatever that was. Uh, but beyond that, we wouldn't give anything more. Uh, and we're trying to get a little better about actually kind of mapping out, you know, how these weeks are going to play out in this project. I was going to say, does that, did that work for you? Like, I, I like, Coming from the other side, as the client, I would think that's very frustrating to not have any sort of definition of when this will take place. Like, did you have to fight with that a lot? Is that why you're changing it? Um, we honestly haven't had problems with it. Um, these are questions we had to answer in meetings, right? Like someone would say, oh, well, what's going to happen first? And we would say, oh, this will happen first. And now we just are kind of writing down, this is the order of things. This is roughly mm-hmm. how much time things are going to take. Um, but frankly, most of our projects or a big majority of our projects are things that mercifully don't have deadlines, like real deadlines, right? They're not going to print. They're not meeting some actual deadline that has to be met. They're just like, when it's done and good, we're going to launch it. That's the kind of priority. And, uh, there are also things that are not so set in stone. There's like places and room for it to change. So I would say that a lot of projects in the past, if we had written a whole timeline, it would have been wrong by, you know, week three, because we had mm-hmm. decided that things were different mutually and like, with the client, like we had agreed that things were going to change a little bit and we were going to kind of tweak this slightly. Um, so, so yeah. And also, you know, frankly, a, a like fully fleshed out timeline is kind of directly, um, it, it's a little bit in defiance of the idea of minimum viable product I just described, which is like, yeah. we just need to get something that works out there as soon as possible. And then start getting feedback either from you know customers or from you the client like you actually use the thing now click around see how it feels and tell us what's working what's not working um and you know that that idea of minimum viable product comes from the startup world the product world and it makes sense in that sphere but you know that similar approach makes tons of sense even if you're just building like a simple marketing website right the idea is just get the core of it to the client as soon as possible instead of like you know hiding it behind this you know, curtain until you're done completely and you can unveil the whole thing and then you realize, oh, there was just some underlying assumption that we were wrong about or that we miscommunicated about or a question we didn't ask and therefore this thing is kind of off. Yeah. Uh, so, so even when it's not a product like that, even when, you know, we're just doing a simple marketing website for something, uh, we still are going to like, we're going to give you designs as soon as possible in week one or week two. And then from there, it will depend. Maybe you love everything and we just start building it. Maybe you hate it all. We have to go back to the drawing board. And so it gets really difficult to write a full timeline when your process is that willing and able to change is what I found. Yeah. And I understand that. I think 
one thing so we we have projects that are like that right and in which case there's not even a timeline it's just like you have these people on the project for as long as you want and you'll just pay an hourly rate and that's that right um so you don't really have to schedule it it's just like you know what the hourly rate is you can use more time or less time um but i'm starting to really like making really tight schedules because then you're in control of your own time and you can't it's it doesn't it doesn't drag on forever um you can kind of say hey this is the exact amount of time we've talked about and it lets you especially for i mean you're in the same situation but especially for uh uh I guess agencies like us where we also want to make our own things, it gives us a little more control over saying like, okay, this is client time and this is build our own thing time as opposed to this like mixed idea of priorities when who knows when it's done. It's just done when it's done and then you can move on to the next thing, but there's no real way to schedule anything or it's the start of a next project. Like how do you, how do you deal with that when things are so open and flexible? Yeah. And to kind of extend something you said, I I do think that, at least half of the reason that we've started trying to make more concrete timelines is, is for us. Because yeah. when we sit down and make an estimate or, you know, a quote, then we sit down and say, well, it's going to take a few weeks to build this, a few weeks to build that. And that's where we get that number from. But if that number ends up being six months, then it gets very difficult at month three to be like, are we on track? Yeah. <laughs> are, are we on the thing we estimated? We said this would take this long and now we're here. Uh, so having that like very clear things is like, oh, well, by month three, we're supposed to be here because that's what we had originally said in the proposal. Um, so I think that that is being able to like draw a timeline with pencil and say, here's what it's supposed to be. And if you have to erase sections of it and, you know, amend it, you can. But at least having a place to start instead of just saying, well, here's this giant block of time wherein the thing must get done. Let's just start chipping away at the front end of it. That does get a little bit intense. Um, so yeah, I don't think clients have not asked us for it. We have have never heard somebody say like, you know, please give us a direct layout of how time is going to be spent every week. Um, we've never gotten that before, but I think it's helpful just to, I think, give people more of a sense of like, you know, of the design and development. Like this is roughly how much space they're going to take up in terms of, you know, the overall number you're looking at. Uh, and like I said, it's also really helpful just to to reiterate, you said, like, take control of your own time and say, we're going to spend these eight weeks on this, and this is what we're going to do in each of those weeks. And if something takes longer, then we have to talk about it and, you know, recognize that this is getting changed. But uh, it doesn't just kind of drag on weirdly uh, without being defined. Right. That's the part that drives me crazy is getting to the end of a project and then it's kind of done, not done. I mean, I, with the understanding that nothing on the Internet is ever done, but like... No, like, when can we start the next thing? When can we schedule this? When can we schedule this? Like, everything has this fuzzy end date where you can't plan for anything, and then who knows if you're available? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that actually reminds reminds me of another section that is not in the example proposal I'm looking at here, but we do have available to us in certain proposals, which is, like, ongoing maintenance and costs, um, which is something that, you know, we did have a couple projects in the past where we just took for granted that we assumed people knew more or less how websites worked, (laughs) Uh, which is the case of some of our clients, right? They're very technical. They may even have their own developers. They know what they're doing. Uh, They don't need any of this stuff explained to them. But we found that some of our clients just actually don't know anything. And so when we build a website for them, they're like, wait, the hosting's going to cost a couple hundred dollars a month. And we're like, yeah, that's how websites work. Uh, You know, those things that we assumed might have been obvious were just not. Um, So we do have a section now where we describe like, Here's our estimated like hosting costs for this project, uh, which can change if you get way more popular or if something dramatically changes about the scope. Uh, And also, in addition to that, here is how much time and or money it's going to take to keep this site running year over year over year, because, 
you know, as soon as you build it, it starts breaking itself. It, it begins <laughs> falling apart as libraries and dependencies are updated and you have to go and, you know, add those updates and, you know, God forbid there's a security problem with one of the dependencies of the site, and then you need to make sure you update that in a timely fashion. So uh, those are things that we also outline for projects that are going to have ongoing maintenance, uh, which is every project on the web, frankly. Yeah. I mean, a static site has barely any, but it still has some. Uh, right. So so yeah, that's another section that's in there as well. You, you mentioned that your proposals don't look like this, though. So what do you do differently? Well, I think we just don't put ours. Ours are much simpler than yours. Like we, we, we basically have two things, right? There's like the proposal that is the nice looking thing, and it has basics like who who are the people or resources required to do it? What is the cost? What is kind of the summary of services and statement of work? Um, we usually describe the product in user stories. Um, so like describing what each feature will do. Um, so we have a pretty clear list of, I mean, usually that help. that's how we make the estimate to begin with is like describing all the features of the site mm -hmm. uh, and how they're going to work. And then we put, you know, assign time to that and then multiply by our hourly, hourly rate. And then we figure out what it costs. Um, so we put all the user stories in. Then we have the schedule that is, it looks like a schedule. It just doesn't have specific dates. It has weeks, right? So it's like at this week, yep will give you a front end you can look at it at this time you provide feedback and we just put milestones there um and then that's attached to like here's what we estimate the kickoff time to be but it's a flexible schedule um we have a, a list of just assumptions like we have a page literally called assumptions that are kind of talked to what you talk about like this is how the web works some basics um but then we're done right we have uh we have a, another legal document that we send that explains like background technology and we can use this on our portfolio. And if we have to take it to court, then we do this, you know, that, you know, that stuff that's boring and boilerplate. Um, we do have little things like one thing I was kind of excited about is recently we decided that not that recently, we decided that like most of Friday time is going to be spent on our own internal products. So uh -huh. we actually put that into proposals and say, um, on Fridays, employees are going to spend, I, th I think it says six or eight hours on internal products. So don't expect us to be available on Fridays. Um, so we have started to shape things in that, like, kind of exp partly explain the project and partly explain the company that you're working with, which I think is nice. Um, but then we're done. Like, I don't do all the, the explanation of what search engine optimization is. Um, browser compatibility is just a list. It's not uh, the concept of browser compatibility so i'm kind of uh i'm i'm thinking now i'm kind of like oh, maybe i should steal some of these things from you but uh it's it's only like four or five pages um i think people basically i think we break it up so like you can read the proposal easily and understand it easily and then the big legal doc like we hope you read it but mm, maybe you will maybe you won't as long as it's just every it's for our protection Interesting. So, I mean, the, I should say the proposal I'm looking at right now, which doesn't have some of the sections I described because it's a simpler project, but mm -hmm. this is only five pages and has all the sections that we talked about pretty much. Uh, hmm, okay. So it's not super long either, uh, but our, our contract, our legal document is actually even shorter. And, and we, we design it exactly the same way. So it looks just as nice as our, uh, as our engagement letters does. It's just the same template. Uh, it's not like a separate thing. Uh, yeah. And that, that's like a page and a half. Uh, like really? Page and a half, two pages. Um, and that really just says like, you're we're not a full-time employee of yours you're hiring us as a contractor uh we here's the deal with the rights for all of the stuff we're creating and who gets the rights to it uh you need to pay us <laughs> and if you don't pay us there's <laughs> going to be hell to pay and uh i can't, can't swear you need to pay us and if you don't pay us there's gonna be problems 
And, uh, you know, like if you have to sue us, it's going to be in Maryland and all like, the, the really, really kind of just like fundamental protections that we need. Um, the idea being that I, again, I, first of all, I want to make that document as short as possible because to your point, I want people to read it. They may yeah. not. Uh, it is largely there for our protection, right? Like here, at least we said this and you signed it. So if you didn't read it, it's your own fault. Yeah. Um, but I don't ever want to be in that position, right? I don't want to be in a position where it's like, oh, you didn't actually understand and you signed a legal document you didn't get. And now, you know, you are in a situation that you didn't expect to be in because we didn't communicate clearly with you. So we, yeah, we strive I, I, really hard to make that legal document as short as it could possibly be in the hopes that people would read it. And I yeah, should say, that's I, kind of my goal too is, well, I mean, the only reason it ever comes up is if like, it's only enforceable if you bring it to court. So like, it kind of doesn't matter. I never want to be in that situation. So it kind of barely matters unless you're really willing to take it that far, you know? Yeah. Um, and we don't describe like part of the reason it's so short is that it's like very, very, very open-ended, right? Like the legal document promises essentially nothing. It says like, you're paying us this much money to work on software for you. And <laughs> there's no guaranteed anything, right? Uh, things can change all along the way. We can run into some problem we don't foresee. Like we don't guarantee rates. We don't guarantee timelines or deadlines. Uh, so it's really straightforward because all it says is like, you give us the money, we work for you. And whatever happens, happens, um, mm. basically. So, so yeah. And so I intentionally pull anything out of that legal document that doesn't need to be like legally signed, right? Um, so anything that I want to describe that I want people to understand, but I don't really need someone to like legally agree to, like all the compatibility and optimization and like all that kind of stuff uh, is why we put that in the proposal. And we actually have, to your point about people reading it, we actually have like two different text styles, right? There is like a bigger text style that's the full width of the page that is, here's the stuff that we like wrote specifically for your project. And then without any like different labeling, it's just like some of the sections are just, they're narrower and they're a smaller text size. And it's supposed to kind of indicate like, this is here if you want to read it. And there's a very clear heading. So if you care about how we approach travel, like you can read it. If you don't care at all, <laughs> then don't, you don't have to read it, right? It's kind of what I'm trying to express with the layout of this is that if you don't care to read about browser compatibility, don't, fine, don't care. But here we're telling you, so you can't in the future come back and say, you didn't tell us what you're going to do re-browser compatibility. Because, yeah. you know, all these sections are the same in that they're also protections for us, right? Like the more we say up front, or can at least show that we gave you in writing up front, and if you chose to read it or not, that's something we can't really control, uh, you know, the easier it is to have those discussions in the future where somebody's like, I pulled this up on my, you know, grandfather's old PC with Internet Explorer 5.5, and it looks terrible, and what's wrong with you? We can talk about how that internet browser is as old as me and shouldn't be supported by anybody. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why we add all those different sections. And frankly, you know, I go back and forth on, we've had these sections written, right? We had to write them for some proposals. So it's like, once you've written it, and if it is, you know, abstract enough that it makes sense for a huge chunk of your projects, like, why not tell people? And the reason why not is you make the document longer. And it's like, well, do you want a longer document you think people are going to read less of? And that's something I wrestle with a lot which is why we came to this kind of uh, balance of there is a big thing at the front, the text is bigger, this is the thing that really describes the project and what we're doing, then there's more here. And the more here is stuff that you can read if you want, but if you don't read it, you know, it shouldn't really be a deal breaker either way. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where we landed with all that stuff. Hmm. Actually, one, I was just thinking about, like, is there, uh, let's see. Do you think you always just send like these PDF documents that you can sign in return? Like, should we just make web page proposals? 
Just make we a web page. You click, that. you click accept, and then you're done, and you know. So you actually know someone had to read. I guess that's like a uh, iTunes agreement. You don't know if someone yeah, you read don't know it, if, but like, you, you don't know anything. Yeah, you don't know that at all. You could quiz them at the end, and they have to yeah. like complete the quiz and fill out the correct answers. We actually talked about that, and half the reason we built the system this way, um, the system we built spits out a PDF or a static HTML page. So we could mm-hmm. very easily make these on the web. Um, there's a couple of reasons why we decided not to do that for now. Um, one of the reasons is that I don't know how much we actually gained from putting it on the web, right? Uh, like, it feels more like natural to you or I because we're very comfortable with that. But I think sending a link to somebody might be a little weird for some people, and it's still just going to be text and some images every once in a while. It's not like there's really cool interactive stuff we can do on the proposal <laughs> to, like, make it more clear. You know, yeah. we're not really benefiting from that medium so much. And I think more importantly... Uh, you know, technically, a website is not a fixed thing. Like, you could look at it today and say, I agree, and go back to it tomorrow, and we could have just changed some of the language on it. And then there's this weird question of, like, what did you agree to versus not agree to, which I think leads people to not trust it, which is justifiable, right? Like, That's pretty fair. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. So the PDF is like, here's the document. You have a copy. We have a copy. We know it's not going to change. So uh, those are the two reasons why we aren't doing it right now. I could see a future where we, you know, actually design a page and it's like, here, here's your little thing we built for you that describes all of our stuff and allows you to kind of go through everything. Um, but right now, I don't think we see the benefit in that so much. Uh, and I don't think it would nice. work for us. I don't think it would work for us either. I think it would be like, uh, no, just send me the normal version. I'd be like, well, no, built this whole thing and it's useless. Great. <laughs> well, it's definitely super weird, right? Because it's an eight <laughs> yeah. and a half by 11 PDF that I have to assume literally nobody's ever printing out. <laughs> like, That's how I feel too. Like, <laughs> We're, we're using this format that makes no sense, but everybody just feels comfortable with. So I, it's fine. It's totally It's just fine. funny. Like, we, we actually talked about, like, should we make it a different aspect ratio? Because who cares? No one's ever going to print it. Like, yeah. you know, A4 would look a little nicer, just a slightly different, you know, ratio than the 8.5 by 11. But, uh, but no, we just landed on normal 8.5 by 11 because it seems, does not seem worth it to kind of divert from that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's a thing. Um, we've been working on to try and make that better. Uh, tell me about this visual timeline you make. You actually like make a little bar graphs. Like, what do you do there? Yeah, I mean, it just, it looks like a thing you could make in Excel. It just has a little like week one block, week two block, week three block. And it'll say like one developer, one developer will work on this one designer and this will be the concept phase. And then two developers work and this will be the, the product development phase and just splits it up into pieces. And then we can put literal like lines and say milestone. Here's where you'll see a thing. thing. Milestone. Here's where you're going to see a thing. Um, and then actually, honestly, I use that so that we can say, we bill this amount at this milestone. We bill this amount at this milestone. So it's more, if we work faster and get something done, we can bill sooner. Uh, it's a practical thing, but I like it for the reason, as I said before, where it doesn't have to drag on forever and ever. We deliver. We kind of said that's, that was the goal. And, and you make specific promises of like number of designers or developers working on the project. And is that actually mapped to... Like there is literally one person in the office assigned to that project and that's the only person that has work on it during that block? Or is that like an abstract representation of, you know, 30 to 40 hours of one developer's time this week, but it could be three or four people working on it? It's pretty accurate. I mean, we, if we assign a person, we really do it. It's much, much like you said, you assign a project manager. Like we'll say a project manager, we'll say a developer or two developers. And it really is, we don't, have, we don't put specific names, but we, you know you're going to get those people, like those number of people on the project for the time that we specify it, you know? So it's, I mean, honestly, that's more for us so we can plan and say, we can have a schedule internally and say, hey, Scott's on this, uh, Matt's on this, Mark is on that, and we know for how long so that when somebody else comes and says, hey, we need a thing, we can say, okay, here's our start date because we have, I'm, what, honestly, I'm trying to get better at that. I don't think we're amazing at it yet, 
um, scheduling internally, but that's my goal is so somebody else can come and everyone on the team can know, okay, we're working, these people are working on this for X amount of time. And so when the next job comes, we can plan it for May 15th. And that's a great start date for that. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing that uh, sections we specifically don't include, but have talked about or have been asked by specific RFPs to do in the past. You know, some places ask for like bios of the team members. Have you ever done that before? Uh, no, actually, I've worked. I've worked on uh, when I was at Pentagram. They would sometimes some people would ask for that, um, but no, never at Motel. Interesting. Yeah, that's something that I can't decide how valuable that is. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of somebody choosing to work with us because of like the individuals that would be working on the project Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know the company and what we propose to be doing uh and how our we've kind of worked in the past i I like the idea of them working more with the abstraction of the company than like oh i care about this particular front-end developer or whatever which is practical right like if we're working on a project for eight months they might not be a developer but someone could quit or something and we don't have that developer anymore and then it's like well their name was on the proposal and here's a little picture but is that really true if we can't promise they're going to be on the project for the entire duration of it um, yeah but it's also that like actually, a- we we have had proposals that well not not even proposals like more just the agreement so, i mean sometimes it's somebody else has an agreement that you have to work with right and so you sign it so we have worked with some things where you have to put a name on it um and it's like committing to a specific person but there's always language that like if that person leaves then we can replace them with somebody else and sure yeah it's something we've excluded in the past so if you have made any like significant mistakes with proposals in the past that uh, if people are listening and they're working in consulting or freelancing or things that they should avoid that you can think of? Uh, I mean, I really do think uh, making it too, like trying to spend too much time making it pretty and um, like thinking you're going to blow someone out of the water with how beautiful your proposal is, is kind of silly. Like I think spend more time, like come up with a system that lets you spend more time in the content and the structure. Cause when you, I feel like when you first get started, you have to do like, you have like one person or two people and you, you just you get the one job and you're excited. So you spend hours and hours and hours on it. And then as time goes on, you have to do more and more and more. And you're like, this was such a stupid choice and system. Why can't we just make this easier? And like, oh, now we have someone who is in charge of operations here. We're sure it would be nice if she could work on it as well. Opposed to just me, the designer, having to open it up and do it every single time. Like on the, the pure practicality of that, I would love to change that. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, I, I think, I don't know if it's a mistake, but I do really also want to move away from just committing to endless amounts of time and really scoping out things well. Like, I think there, I think there's a lot to be said for, I, I feel like I originally thought, thought of this as like, I would dread projects with tight timelines and like very specific things and be like, oh God, if we, we don't deliver in time, what are, what are we going to do? And now I'm kind of like, Ooh, a tight timeline. That's great. That means there's a there's a start date, there's an end date. People are going to be paying attention and actually look at the thing when we deliver it, um, as opposed to, eh, we sent it. You'll get to it when you get to it. Maybe it'll sit there for a while and you'll never give us feedback. Who knows? Um, I'm appreciating more and more, like really planning things out, scoping it out, giving a real schedule, and knowing that there's solid start and end dates. And we can always, like, of course, nothing's done. We can always do a new proposal or like extend it or whatever, change it, but. At least we've agreed to this, and it's very clear what we're doing. And it's very clear about, on the client side, like, what, what do you have to give to us? You have to give us feedback by this time, and then we can move forward. Um, I appreciate, I just appreciate as much clarity as possible. That's what I want out of the proposal. I want everybody to know exactly what's going to happen, and there's just no, no one is in the dark on anything. But you don't include those every sections I mentioned. You, you said you, like, skip all that stuff. 
to, I mean, to be honest, I just never considered having like a search engine optimization thing before. So now I'm listening to you and thinking maybe we should add that in the next iteration. Um, and, and these are some things that, you know, we, these are, these are things that we've learned from experience, right? Yeah. Uh, we, did, we had one, one particular project where uh, we came in and rebuilt a site for somebody and kind of totally replaced it. And the process of rebuilding it meant that it was totally rebuilt, which included changing all of the URLs, which is something we talked about. We're like, we're going to change the URL structure because right now the structure doesn't make sense and we're adding these things. And so it doesn't fit in the current URL structure. Uh, and there are ramifications of that, which we also talked about. We we're like, hey, when this happens, like you are going to like basically drop off the face of planet Earth from search engines for a while because uh, your site, all those pages that are, people are currently looking to are not going to be there anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. And we can do redirects and stuff, but it's going to have an effect on your sort of performance on search engines uh, and traffic. And the even though we said that in like meetings, for example, uh, it was something that when it actually happened, the client was like, whoa, this is happening. <laughs> What's wrong? And we're like, nothing's wrong. This is just how this is going to be for a little while until <laughs> you start getting more people linking to the new pages of the site and until, you know, Google and other search engines have crawled all these new pages. And, uh, you know, the... The unpleasant surprise of that, that our, our client experience is something that I'm trying to cut down on by being very explicit about that up front. And we actually have another section of this, which is not included in the proposal I sent you that I've been going over here, that is specifically for when replacing an existing site. This is just for making a new site, uh, the things yeah. we kind of cover. Um, it also is just to kind of cut that question off in the past, right? Before somebody says like, you know, what are you going to do for me SEO wise? Uh, or like, how are you going to make sure I'm the first result on Google for, you know, my name? And it's like, well, we just can't. That's not a thing we can do. Um, right. That's not how this works. So it's kind of, <laughs> cut, it's kind of cutting it off of the past a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, how do you balance the wanting to feel like formal and like established with not wanting to be like impersonal? Because like we're both working for very small companies. Yeah. It's something that I feel sometimes is that I'm very conscious of uh, presenting ourselves as like a bigger entity than we are with our like documents, right? Uh, like if everything is kind of like you're working with this company corporation dot LLC or whatever, and everything is kind of like formalized and not like almost cold and corporate. Uh, it feels a little bit wrong sometimes. I was very conscious of this when I was a freelancer. It was very strange to be like, ah, oh, yes, make my proposal from office of Andy Mangold. <laughs> and like, you know, when it's just, you know, me dude sitting here at my desk doing this thing, um, how do you, how do you kind of like strike that balance when you're kind of coming up with the look or the actual language I think is important in it too. Like what are you, what are you going for in that, on that spectrum? I, I don't worry about that in the proposal part of it. Like, I feel like that comes through and just, I don't know, every project I'm on, I try to be in contact with you know, whoever the stakeholders are as much as possible. So like, I feel like it's personal because I'm making it personal. Like I'm very involved in every step of it. Um, you're going to talk to me about if you have any questions at all. So I, I just try to make the proposal as clear as possible. And then like, it's personal because you know me, you know? And, uh, I also think our, I, we just launched a new website. Like we try to be pretty clear about who works there and like every single person has a picture. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a fun, like, um, like our website is very playful. Like, I don't think it's a website that you would see from a Ogilvy or like some big firm or something. Um, so I don't really worry about that in the proposal part because here's the thing, Andy, I'm never sending a proposal to somebody I just don't know. I've always talked of to them course, for yeah. an extended period of time before that goes out. So like to me, the proposal is almost like the last step in the project before we start. It's not like responding to RFPs where you're just like firing them out into the ether and like, who is this thing from this random person? There's always so much preamble that um, 
not really a concern. I don't know if it's different for you ever where you are sending these proposals to people that you don't even know, but no, we, we don't do it's that. Never, but it's I, it's only come up maybe once or twice for us ever where that happens. We we don't do that, but I will say that we have on multiple occasions had a client who worked with us sometimes for a long time, and we were very similar, right? Like the people that are assigned to be the project managers for the project, you talk to them very regularly. We send you an email yeah. at least every single week, if not more often, and you know we communicate through all these other different channels too and project management software like the very uh you know high touch situation um we have multiple clients in the past though just have the totally wrong idea about how big of a company we are uh and we found that first of all way fewer people ever go to our website than we we would expect like Mm -hmm. i i as a you, you know young person that googles every single business i have any kind of relationship with expect that everyone that works with us has been to our website which is not the case like there's lots of people that hire us to make a website for them and just never saw our website or maybe like you know the person that decided to hire us is not the person we're working with the person we're working with is this project manager and the project manager has never even didn't compare us to other studios didn't think about anything they just were told they're working with us and they just genuinely have no idea uh which i I don't know how much the proposal's job is to communicate that at all but uh it's very interesting we've had on a couple of occasions people be like oh like uh you know how many offices do you have internationally? And it's like, oh, none of those. <laughs> definitely, definitely zero. Not even, not even a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing because people do different kinds of due diligence when they're making a decision about like who to hire for a project than, than I would if I were in their position, uh, which just becomes, comes up sometimes. I mean, I'm sure that's the case. I just never, I don't consider it as much because it, it rarely comes up as an issue, you know? Uh, like the only time it ever comes up as an issue if somebody's like, "Hey, do you work in this language?" and it's like, "No, we don't," because we only have these number of people and they they specialize in this. And I go, like, "Oh, how are we going to close this episode in a even remotely exciting way, considering the dry subject matter?" Did you tell me what you want to change about your current process? Like, I you told a little bit about what this tool you built, but what's uh, what are you learning from it? What are you going to change in the future? Well, so I mean, the what we've been talking about is our new process, right? Like. A lot of these sections I just described to you are things that we just decided to add to essentially every proposal, which they're appropriate to add to um, yeah. in an effort to just, well, we have it written. We like sat down and figured it out to not communicate. It seems like a mistake. And I guess I'm not worried about. I don't expect everyone to read every proposal and we haven't talked about the like reading the thing too much, but I'm sure you've had the experience multiple times where it becomes totally clear that the person you're working with did not read either the contract or the proposal or any of the documentation you sent them. Yeah. Uh, they just, I've had people tell me that straight up. Like, you know, we get to like halfway through a project and they're like, when's this part happening? And I'm like, that part's not included. And they're like, what do you mean? And I say, no, no this document you signed. And they say, I didn't read that. And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. Like, if yeah. you're not going to read it, that's, that makes it kind of rough on me. Um, so it does happen. And I think the fear, like the, the kind of like subtle thing that we were not doing before was uh, we didn't include these sections because we felt like, oh, the longer the document is, that will keep them from reading any of it. And in reality, I think that, you know, there's a good chance they're not going to read a lot of these sections we, we, we put in, but I don't think it's going to keep them from reading the first part of the document that is going to explain more kind of personally and directly what the actual project scope is uh, if they were going to read it in the first place, right? Like, I don't think they're yeah. going to say, I'm not going to read page one because there are eight pages. They might just stop at page three or whatever. Uh, which I think is reasonable. So we added those sections. And like I said, our new kind of templating system for handling this, which the technology is not important, but it's important to note that we do have like 
a canonical version of each of these sections now. So like there is our one browser compatibility thing. And if we're talking about browser compatibility on any project, it will always be this one section that we've kind of already written that yeah. will explain it. Uh, and it's nice to have it all in one place that we know for sure that every document is getting the correct version of everything without having to manage this big pile of stuff. Uh, and we're still writing them collaboratively. Now the collaboration, that's the one thing that we've kind of, t this, is, this has been a downgrade is that, you know, before we could just have them in Google Docs, everyone could look at it and comment and, you know, make inline annotations. And, uh, and now it's, you know, it's in version control. So people are going to work on it, you know, simultaneously through Git. Uh, but people are commenting on it. If you're not going to write in the proposal, we have a comment about it. We'll just have to be, you know, here's a little Slack message about this typo or whatever. And we right. have to go fix it. Um, but less, probably less typos though, right? Or less... Less having to double check every single piece of it. Yeah, we have to double check it a little bit less. And it should be, we, we, we've only made a proposal or two with this new system. It should be much, much faster, I think, to make uh, what amounts to a more professional looking and better looking proposal uh, than before, where it was still a lot of copying and pasting. And even on a small proposal, like having to reread it a million times and make sure everything was correct. Oh, another, another practical example. Uh, I never want to have to do the math manually ever again on what these numbers of estimates add up to because that's just super frustrating. And then, you know, the scope changes a little bit and you end up having to take this one thing out. You have to add everything up all over again just to make sure mm -hmm. you didn't subtract it incorrectly. So like the very simple thing of like this system doing the math for us uh, is enough that, that that makes it a compelling change as well. That's pretty good, actually. It's, it's just an interesting challenge because I feel like so often uh, the things I have to design are like, if we can simplify it enough that someone gets the gist of it, that's great. We can just get someone in, they get the basic idea, that's awesome, that's perfect. This is so the opposite of that. So it is like, my first, I feel like my first attempt at it was like so challenging because you want someone, to, you need someone to see every single piece of it, or at least that's your goal, whereas... I want it to be available to them. I, I, yeah. I want them to know that if they care about this, and you know, we've kind of panned people a little bit and kind of insinuated that people don't read a lot of things. We definitely have clients that are excited to read every single word of everything we send them and we'll like yeah. go over it with a fine tooth comb and they're very detail oriented. And so this is especially good for those clients because it's like, here, we laid it all out. So you can go through here and ask questions and, you know, you totally get everything and we don't have to have, you know, a bunch of back and forth where you ask all these questions that we didn't bother to answer in the proposal because we were trying to keep it simple and, and sort of straightforward. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, overall, the thing I want people to be left with, uh, I hope that going over these kind of sections and talking about our kind of process has been helpful. Uh, I would agree with Matt that, you know, especially if you're design minded, uh, you are probably the kind of person that feels like it's really important. These things look excellent. And, uh, and I would echo Matt's feeling that it's more important that you be able to make it quickly and that it be clear. And, uh, the content is so much more important than, than the, the look of it. And so, don't accept any any compromises on your workflow uh, if it means that it looks a little bit nicer, if it takes you longer to do or makes it more difficult to collaborate with people on your team or whatever. Um, and then the other thing I would say is like, you know, uh, people oftentimes I think look at, you know, they go online and they Google like, you know, what's, what's in a proposal? They look at examples from other places. And I, I hope that going through ours has been a little bit helpful, but also you know, you can put in there whatever you want. Like this is your opportunity to really describe the service you want to provide and mm -hmm. the way you want to provide it. Uh, and that's one of the most exciting things about either working for yourself or running your own small company is being able to do things however you want to do them, uh, which, you know, I think if you're thoughtful about it, the proposal was the like formalization of all of that thought and care you've put into how you run your business. And uh, there's no reason that it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be, you know, everything you want it to be. I, 
I think next time we should just get, we should also get someone on here who sh- who has to fit someone else's requirement for a proposal because I think the one the f- the final thing to note is that like we have this flexibility because we we fit our own requirements. Like I have also watched other people have to create things that fit such specific requirements. I think we talked to Maurice a little bit about this in the government episode, but like, Oh, for sure. Yeah, this is this is our own version of it. This is just doing whatever we want to do. Um, well, here's the thing about by no means the RFP thing. Well, here's what I'll say about that is I think that uh, it's really useful to have to make a more extensive RFP for a project or two. And we've done it a couple times for projects. We've made more extensive things that, like you said, meet very specific requirements of we need to know this and this and this and this. And here's this long list of all the stuff we need from you in this order. And uh, we even had ones where it like tells you exactly what size type to use and in what kind of document. Oh, yeah. Um, what I'll say about that, though, is that uh, obviously, I'm extremely sympathetic to people that are going to have to review 100 different proposals and don't want to have to, you know, <laughs> get out their magnifying glass to look at this one because they used eight point type uh, and this like multiple columns. And then this other one here is on yellow paper. Like, I, I understand that uh, a million percent. Um, but I'll also say that if you really read those, you know, I think people are oftentimes put off by here's a big list of things that we're going to require you to do. It's like, well, why are you requiring us to do things? Uh, that's, you know, we have our own way of doing stuff and you're making us meet your meet your requirements which is dumb uh if you really look at those requirements though it's almost always stuff that you've probably already included in your thing it might just be worded differently uh and it might be kind of stretched out to seem more longer and more kind of thorough when in actuality like you already have the section describing that the scope you really do uh so we found that we could oftentimes take what is essentially our on our terms you know boilerplate and just you know that actually fits you know, requirement 4.2.1a is for you, uh, which, you know, it, there's, there's not that much difference. I think there's a bigger difference in, uh, in just how it's presented than the actual content of it. We done? I guess. This is a different kind of episode. We'll see how people think, what people think about Maybe it. Maybe people will be so excited that they don't have to think about proposals anymore. We just solved all the problems for them. Yeah, I don't know. This will be one of those I'm ones gonna, where... I'm definitely going to steal some of your ideas. I like some of this stuff. I just hadn't considered it in this, you know, like doing it here as opposed to another document or just sending an email that has that once we get started and say, Hey, this is how we're going to handle this part, part of it. Like, uh, it's a proposal thing, not a project management. Yeah, I'm thing. excited for it to grow over time. Right. Like I, I expect to add more sections when somebody asks us about, I don't know, uh, for example, like we don't really have an accessibility section right now. That's a perfect example right. of a section that we very well could have. Uh, like we, we have an approach to accessibility that we, we cover, uh, that is basically pretty straightforward. Um, so we could write that down. Uh, that's something that I don't think we've ever been asked about on any project ever, which is not a, a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we work mostly for for-profit for businesses that, you know, they just, for worse, I'm not going to say for better or worse, it's just for worse. They just don't care about, you know, spending a certain amount of time to <clears throat> hit what ends up being a fairly huge minority of their actual customers, right? They're not going to see the effect in the bottom line. So they they don't think it's worth it to do you know, X amount of optimization work to make sure that a screen reader works perfectly. They're not going to do testing for screen readers, for example. Yeah. Um, so that's a section we could add. And if we have to write that for a client in the future uh, and sit down and really like, you know, carefully craft the language to write down very clearly what we're going to do, then we'll just start including that in all the proposals from the future, right? Once we've written it down, we'll just do it. Uh, we just haven't had to write that down yet. So we, we haven't done it just yet. So I'm excited for this system to kind of like grow and get more specific and, and better. Uh, and then eventually, like, I always wonder how much of this stuff belongs in a proposal and how much of this belongs not 
on like a little static site for each client that like represents a proposal, but just on <laughs> our website. Friends of the web. Here's who we are. Just on our website. Like here's yeah. what we do. Uh, and so I think it's useful to, you know, think about that too when you're, when you're working through these things. Because I mean, I don't know, how, would it be useful to like write a blog post about how we decided which browsers we we're going to support and like, you know, share that with people? I don't know, maybe. I think actually, yes. If you want to go ahead and do that, I, I'm interested by it. Well, I sent you the proposal so you can read the thing. Yeah, I mean for <laughs> other people. This has been Working File. Thanks for listening. Because this episode was a bit different, Matt and I would especially appreciate your feedback on it. Should we do more shows like this? Less? What do you think? Find us at Working File on Twitter and say things like, Hey Andy, that was a boring show, bad idea. Or, hey Matt, I love that show, great idea. Yep, that's, those are your options. <laughs>